Um, now, the title of today's talk is The War Inside All of Us. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel as if there is indeed a huge tug of war going inside my head between my desire to do the right thing and a really rather strong temptation to do the wrong thing. And in reading this passage, I was comforted just a little to realize that I'm not alone. Paul tells us that he too has gone through and is going through this same battle. In verse 15, he says, For what I want to do, I do not. But what I hate, I do. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Romans and his message for them and for us today, that because of Jesus' death on the cross, because of his grace, our sinful selves have been saved from the wrath of God. We're free from condemnation and free from the old law. We've been released, so to speak, by Jesus from the law of Moses. But Paul was quite clear that just because we've been freed from sin, this didn't mean we should keep on sinning, but that we should resist and not be a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. And Nicholas spoke last week, if you were here, about how we cannot serve two masters. We need to choose which master we serve, God or sin. Um, as a little aside, I um, was encouraged to read my Bible cover to cover by an amazing speaker at New Wine called R.T. Kendall. Now, I'm sure that many of you have done this, and, and some of you may have done this a few times. R.T. Kendall has read his Bible 40 times, and he's read the Psalms and the New Testament 80 times. So I was inspired, or was it shamed, to pick up the Bible and read it cover to cover as a book. It's amazing. I am loving it. And if you're interested, I'm in the middle of Psalms after three months, so not doing too badly. But if you're ever feeling a bit discouraged, dip into Kings. And when you read some of the things that these guys got up to, the, king of God, the kings of God-chosen people, how they broke these written laws you can better understand why we need Jesus' help. Because without him, the journey simply isn't possible. But I digress a bit. Today, I'm going to be looking at three main themes from our passage. Firstly, if we're now released from the law, what then is the purpose of the law for a disciple of Jesus, both then and today? Secondly, if we've been saved, why then is there this perpetual battle within us between the desire to do the right thing and a weakness in delivering? And thirdly, what can we do in our daily lives to help us make the right choices? On the first point, Paul is very clear in verse 7 that the law isn't the cause of sin and it's not sinful in itself. On the contrary, he goes on to explain that the written law for Christians back then, and indeed today, is good because its purpose is to show us that we are not good. It showed Paul, and it shows us right from wrong. It shows us our need for a saviour. So 
that begs the question, I guess, that if the law is righteous, holy, and good, as Paul says in verse 12, why then do we need to be freed from it? When you see this sign, what is the first thing that you want to do? Walk on the grass. In fact, even if you had no desire to walk on the grass before now, all you want to do is walk on the grass. It's perverse, but true. And that's what Paul means in verses 8 to 11. If the law hadn't said to him, do not covet, he wouldn't have known that he was coveting. But once he knew this was the case, it didn't end there. I'm going to read these verses now from the message, which I often find helps to clarify and simplify a more complicated passage. Sin found a way to pervert the command into a temptation, making a piece of forbidden fruit out of it. The law, instead of being used to guide me, was used to seduce me. Once sin had got its hands on the law and decked itself out in all its finery, I was fooled and fell for it. The very command that was supposed to guide me into life was cleverly used to trip me up, throwing me headlong. So sin was plenty alive and I was stone dead. So in other words, the law has a tendency to stir up the sin within us, which is why we need to be freed from it. I like the example in John Stott's book. Um, If we take a criminal today, a man who's caught red-handed breaking the law, he's arrested, brought to trial, found guilty, and sentenced to prison. Now, he can't blame the law for his imprisonment. True, it was the law that convicted and sentenced him, but he has no one else to blame but himself for the predicament he finds himself in. In a similar way, Paul exonerates the law. It is indwelling sin, because of its perverse nature, is aroused and provoked by the law. Thus, our real problem isn't the law, but sin. The law can't save us because we can't keep it. And we can't keep it because of indwelling sin. We've been hijacked by evil since Adam. And the law, good as it is, can do nothing about it except reveal our need for a saviour. So let's look now at our second point. The battle that rages within. The second part of today's passage is all about the ongoing struggle that all Christians experience with sin and their hatred of it. Paul says in verses 18 and 19, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, and this I keep on doing. As I said at the start, I must confess that I take some comfort from Paul's honesty and openness. If he too struggled, then maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that we do as well. Simon Ponsonby, in his book, God is for Us, that we've been looking at alongside this sermon series, talks about the civil war between Paul in Christ and Paul in Adam, between the will of God and the will of the sin in the flesh. 
what I called earlier indwelling sin, those two masters that Nicola spoke of last week. Our flesh loves sin. Our spirit in Christ hates sin. He goes on to say that sin is inherited from Adam. It's in our bodies until we are resurrected. So until we receive our resurrected bodies, we will have sin in our flesh. And the battle that rages is inevitable. And don't we know it? Maybe someone at work has wronged you, or one of your friends has been rude about you behind your back. We know that Jesus tells us we must forgive that person. Really, all we crave is revenge. Maybe someone tells a dirty joke. You don't want to laugh, but you do. And then you go and tell one in return. Your best mate just bought that pair of shoes you really wanted. And you're feeling distinctly jealous and rather coveting those shoes. And that happened to me and Sarah last week. Someone else got the promotion you were hoping for. And you feel hurt, angry, and incapable of feeling happy for them. Like Paul, we don't really understand why we feel this way. If I'm saved, then why do I still want to do what I know is wrong? Paul's answer is that still sin is still a force to be reckoned with, even after we've been saved. So if that's the case, should we just kind of give up and resign ourselves to sin and sinning? Are we powerless to do anything about it? As you probably know, Paul was a lawyer. He knew the law backwards. He knew the law was good because it was of God, and it showed him right from wrong, as we've already discussed. The problem was that the law offered no solution. He needed more than just being told right from wrong. He, and we, needed someone to help him do what is right. And the law didn't help in this regard. It simply showed him how wrong he was, but it didn't help him overcome the situation. Reading this passage, and particularly verses 15 to 20, note how many times Paul says, I. Paul, in his own strength, cannot do what is right, even though he wants to, and it makes him miserable. He cries out in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And the answer in the next verse, thanks be to God who delivers me through Lord, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So to answer my earlier question, no, we absolutely do not just resign ourselves to sin and sinning. Our answer also lies in the deliverance we have through Jesus. Firstly, because through his death, he provides forgiveness for our sin. Secondly, he also gives us the strength to resist the temptations we face. The temptation is there. It's part of our sinful nature. But Jesus has has promised to provide the strength to take another course of action. 
the right path. And we can do this not through our own power, but by allowing the Holy Spirit to reign in our lives. So Jesus forgives us, and he can help us from falling into that sin. But perhaps the deeper question is, do you want him to? And that brings us to our third and final point today. Do you really want to overcome that temptation? And if you do, how on earth do you even start? Well, we need to be aware that sin will always take the opportunity to lead us down the wrong path if we allow it to. And therefore, we need to play our part and not give way to that opportunity. We need to be on guard. Well, what does that mean practically? Well, it could mean avoiding certain situations where you know you'll be more at risk to temptation or certain people Those are always trying to tempt you to drink more, to bunk off school, to look at less desirable websites, or whatever. I got caught up in a major gossiping session at work recently. I allowed myself to slip into it and even contribute when every bone in my body was telling me that this was wrong. I knew what they'd be talking about when I saw them in a huddle together, and I could and should have walked away. It will almost certainly involve prayer. Lead us not into temptation, or at least help us to resist it when we're there. And it will involve a daily battle. As Paul shows us, there is victory in Christ, but we will have a fight on our hands. So let me try and summarize what I believe are the key messages in this passage. And please bear with me because there are a few. It's a rather meaty piece of scripture. Through Jesus, we are dead to, freed from the law. But that doesn't make the law bad. On the contrary, the law is good and holy because it holds up a mirror to show us that we are not good and holy. The reason we're not good and holy is because of Adam. Because of his sin, we have sin dwelling within us. Because of this sin within, even though we want to do what is right, we struggle and we often end up doing what is wrong. In our own strength, we cannot fight the sin within. The law shows us what we've done wrong, but it doesn't offer us a solution. We need help. We need a savior. We need Jesus. Jesus helps us to resist the daily temptations by giving us strength through his Holy Spirit. And what's more, offers us forgiveness when we mess up. Remember, Jesus knows how we struggle. He too was tempted, so he understands how it feels. To a certain degree, it's when we're not worried about sinning that we should be really worried, if that makes sense. As Simon Ponsonby said, if Paul were not a Christian desiring God, he would neither notice nor care about the sin within. So this passage is a passage of hope. Our cry, along with that of Paul, is, Lord, have mercy. And he does. 
But if we just rely on ourselves, we cannot possibly win. So let us not look for the victory within, but the victory with him. Amen.